This is a big one. Steve Jobs walks on stage and tells the world how Apple's going to get healthy again. And he ends the event with a mega bombshell announcement with a lot of booing and cheering from the audience. We'll talk about all that and more today on Apple Keynote Chronicles. Apple Keynote Chronicles is made possible by our awesome friends at Linode. Simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux Virtual Machines. Hey, we like things simple here, right? So to keep it easy, if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Hey guys, how are you all doing? If you're new here, welcome. My name is Crazy Ken, and welcome back to Apple Keynote Chronicles. And of course, I'm joined here today by my helpless test subject, Brad. Brad, thanks for being my co-host today. Oh, I can't wait uh, to do this. Uh, every time, it's so exciting revisiting these. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I am really excited today because this is personally one of my favorite Steve Notes ever. Actually, it's one of the shortest ones, but it's a pretty historic one. This is a pivotal part in like the Apple plot line, if you will. So we like to do the show every other Monday so we can make your Monday a fun day. But if you're actually listening to us immediately when this episode came out, we're only a few hours away from Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference and we're about to see some big new stuff being released from Apple. But hey, that's the present because this is Apple Keynote Chronicles. We live in the past. So we're gonna talk about the Macworld 1997 keynote, which was in Boston. And before we jump in, I just wanna correct one thing. We kinda jumped the gun on the Think Different media event that we talked about in a past episode. And we talked about it in the same episode where we covered the January 1997 Macworld. We had the dates all correct, but we presented the episodes in the wrong order because truthfully, WWDC 1997 and Macworld Boston, the one we're covering today, happened to be four of the Think Different media events. So I just wanted to clear that up. Thanks to Sage from youtube.com slash sagefuncom. I'm now using notekey.com as my general timeline, which is a lot more accurate than the last website I was using to plan these episodes. And it's also a lot more visual. So if you want to see a cool visual timeline of Apple's keynotes, go check out notekey.com. So just wanted to correct the chronology because Chronicles is in our name, so we kind of have to get that right. But <clears throat> anyway, moving on. So this keynote is a big one. This is a huge plot point in the Steve Jobs Apple story. So, we're in Boston, Macworld, 1997. Steve Jobs was about to take the stage, and word was spreading about his deeper involvement in Apple. If you haven't heard the past episodes, I highly encourage you to listen to them. But just for a little bit of context, at this time, Apple was maybe three months away from insolvency. They were in a bad place and they were not making money here. And Gil Emilio was the CEO at the time. And let's just say things could have been better. Apple was in a lot of trouble at this time. In July, Apple's stock grew from $13 a share to $20 a share. And the hype was growing as Macworld drew near. So just picture this, more than 5,000 people show up hours early, packed, in the castle hall of the Park Plaza Hotel. All these people are just getting together to watch Steve Jobs talk. So at the beginning of the keynote, Colin Crawford comes out on stage. He's the president and CEO of Mac Publications. And he talks about how it's kind of been an emotional roller coaster, right? And he posts a few things on the screen. You know, he's on stage, there's this big screen behind him. And he talks about this one quote that I think Red Herring said it. It was in June, 1997. The headline or the quote was, Gil Emilio, please resign. <laughs> 
So there were some applause on that one. And again, he was the CEO of Apple at the time, but not a lot of people approved of that. Another headline or a quote from Business Week was, is Apple mincemeat? And there was definitely some booing in the audience from that. And Colin specifically said that Gil Emilio wasn't happy with the media coverage, but the response to that was, Apple would be in bigger trouble if the media just straight up stopped caring. So it's kind of like that cliche of like, all press is good press, right? Even though people were saying these negative things about Apple, at least they cared. It's so much better than getting no media coverage at all. They had a passionate fan base. That's uh, something that- um... Totally. You know, I got a little more uh, context for it. I've been um, reading Becoming Steve Jobs and uh, going through a bit of the history. You know, the last recording that we did, I was kind of asking, like, what is the perception of Apple at this time? I remember and that. Yeah. I, got, I, I got a lot more of an idea of what was going on back then. And yeah, I mean, they had a passionate fan base. And it kind of reminded me of uh, my, my grandma ran a print shop in Phoenix, Arizona growing up. And there was a a Mac guy or a guy who had a, like a little Mac store next to her. Oh. And I remember seeing the Mac and being like, wow, this guy's really passionate. And he had all the magazines and things there, <laughs> just in a way that you didn't see like people caring about other computers in that way. Yeah, and I've noticed it's even that way now. There's absolutely people that like their brand, but like you don't see a bunch of biopics being made about Michael Dell, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't seen any. <laughs> I'm sure there's like documentaries and, and stuff on him because he's crazy successful, but sure. he, he doesn't create the same kind of, I don't want to say cult following, but let's just say pop culture reaction that someone like Steve Jobs or even Elon Musk would create. Yeah, he's a boring billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what we got. Oh, Michael Dell, don't hate us. The interesting thing was though, that they did still have that passionate audience, they even did, yeah. though Steve Jobs had been gone for such a long time. It's yep. still, I still don't have the full answer because I wasn't actively using Macs back then. I was mm -hmm. too young, but mm -hmm. it seems like the creatives were still around and the professionals and those people were passionate about it and they proselytized to others still. But it did seem in this period that that could only hold out for so long. Right, and I think that is one of the things that helped Apple continue here. And they do mention this kind of stuff in the next couple keynotes we'll be talking about. Steve Jobs specifically mentions the number of users. He says it's like 20 to 25 million, which yes, Apple is in trouble at this time, but they can turn it around. 20 to 25 million users is still a lot of people. They can totally make something work from that. And you're right. A lot of passion and loyalty remained. In fact, Colin said similar words, if not the exact same words when he was on stage saying that people want the Mac market to be successful. So then he shows, I thought this was interesting. He shows a slide of a PowerBook, a Power Mac and an Emate 300. One of the Newtons. For those who don't know, Steve Jobs kind of just killed that off. But uh, that hasn't happened yet, but it happens pretty soon. So then Colin says, to start us off in the right direction is an individual who really needs little introduction. He shows that first Macworld cover, you know, where Steve is like on the counter with like the three Macs there. And like there's people standing, there's people pumping fists and cheering and like yelling, Steve, Steve, Steve. And Steve Jobs walks out on stage, not really in the turtleneck stage yet, but uh, you know, he, he still looks really good. So he comes out. And he puts on the screen, status report. So he's like, all right, we're gonna talk about how we're gonna get Apple healthy again. And I like that he mentioned that Apple is executing wonderfully on many of the wrong things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, their focus was um, kind of all over, and they were spreading themselves a little bit thin, in my opinion. But he did see that there were good people there. There were a lot of good people there that could do the right things. They just needed direction. And there was people internally who were passionate about Apple still as well. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it was like they saw in becoming Steve Jobs, I, I forget his name or I don't remember off the top of my head, but the person who had come on, I think he was the chief financial officer at the time. He was really, really fighting for Steve Jobs and that Steve was the person they needed to turn the company around. That mm -hmm. he was passionate. People said, why are you taking this job essentially? <laughs> and he took it because he was still, he was one of those passionate Apple users. And just like Steve, he never let go. He saw that there was something there. And when he looked at the numbers, when he looked at what the company did, he knew, he pitched everybody that Steve was the only person who could do this, oh, who could totally turn was. the company around at that point. Totally. But yeah, Jobs did say, you know, even though the company was in trouble, let's just say, for lack of a better word, not doing so well, like there wasn't anarchy at the company. There were really good people there that just, they were waiting to fall behind a good strategy. There just wasn't a good strategy. And that was the problem. There were so many talented people there and they had this user base of 20, 25 million Mac users, but there was no strategy. <laughs> and it wasn't just a strategy on the products. It sounds like it was a strategy, uh, you know, a mismanagement of the strategy for marketing and stuff too. Yeah. That they had marketing campaigns that were, you know, sending conflicting information or not lining up. Yeah, pretty much everything had to be, for the most part, Everything redone. was like silo. There was a lot of siloing. It did seem like that too, yeah. You know, take that with a grain of salt from me. I didn't work there. Yeah. But that seems to be what it was like. So... He talks about the sales just to put things, we were talking about numbers, like, okay, here's a tangible thing we can put into numbers. So 1995, $11.1 billion. 1996, $9.5 billion. 1997, $7 billion. They are losing money, or at least the sales are going down. I'm not sure if they were losing money, but they were not profitable at this time, if my notes are correct here. Yeah. They, they didn't turn up a profit until, I think, sometime in 1998 it was. Don't quote me on that, but it was yeah, not at this time. Yeah, that's a future episode where yeah. they come into profit. That's, yeah, it is 98. So, Steve Jobs breaks it down into steps. He's like, here's the steps we got to do. We got to start at the top. We need a new board of directors. People cheer like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like we need it. It starts at the top. And I'm glad he mentions that. And uh, there was this one funny thing. I don't know if it fully related to this, but he, Steve Jobs told the story at one of the All Things Digital conferences, you know, with uh, Walt Mossberg. I think how it went was this. I haven't watched the recording in a while, but Steve Jobs was telling the story about what Gil Emilio said about Apple. And Gil Emilio said, Apple is like a sinking ship. And it's my job to get the ship to go in the right direction. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, okay. You can get it going in the right direction, Gil, but this ship is still sinking. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think you're right. I think uh, it just ended with someone asking, yeah, but what about the water? Yeah, well, <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, I don't remember the full thing. But Steve, apparently, um, yeah, him and Gil Emilio did not at a certain point. Very soon, it sounds like they really tried to work things out at the beginning, and very shortly after Steve kind of came on board at Apple, um, things soured between uh, him and Emilio quite a bit. Apparently, he uh, referred to him as Doperino. Doper? I've heard of like Bozo and <laughs> yeah. stuff, but I haven't Bozo, heard of... Bozo was one. Doperino was one I had. That to, I've not If heard you want to hear it, I saved uh, the clip here. The chairman called Steve to see if he would be willing to come back as CEO. Steve had cut Emilio's legs right out from under him. He'd had no qualms about that once he'd decided that the doctor was a Bozo. In private, he would also call him a Doperino. <laughs> That didn't mean he himself was ready to take on the job of running Apple. Oh my gosh. So that's Becoming Steve Jobs, the audiobook, yes, right? Yes. Okay. 
Doperino. I just had to say that because, yeah, Bozo comes up quite a bit mm-hmm. here and there, but uh, it's just a different side of uh, uh, Steve Jobs, especially at this point. He really is a different person than the younger Steve Jobs. Yep. The new Steve Jobs come back, and it doesn't seem like at the time, if he's calling somebody Doperino, he really doesn't like him. Probably not. I don't remember exactly everything I wrote down here, but I think there was one part where Jobs was actually trying to let him down a little bit easier, but I could be wrong about that because my notes are long, so I'll get to that eventually. But yeah, Jobs clearly didn't like him enough because, to put it bluntly, he fired him. But also a lot of other people were given golden parachutes, even Mike Markola, the first investor. He was on the board still at the time, but he was asked to resign. Maybe that was the person I was thinking about that Jobs was nicer to. Actually, that's probably what it was. It was Mike Markola because I think Jobs liked him quite a bit. Anyway, we'll dive more into those details in a bit, but that was starting at the top, board of directors. Then the next thing was to focus on relevance. We were just talking about that. They're kind of like scattered. Invest in the core assets and then invest in meaningful partnerships, not just doing like a little collaboration for a press release, like real truthful, meaningful partnerships, which is where the mega bombshell comes into play. And then a new product paradigm is what Jobs called it. But he also did disclaim that they're not gonna be showing new products today, but that's coming later. And for everyone listening, oh yeah, we'll be talking about the new products later too. But this is more important right now. So board of directors, changing it all up, except two members from the prior board are staying. Ed Woolard, who was the chairman and former CEO of DuPont, and Gareth Chang, president of Hughes International. Jobs was thinking he would be good for Asia markets. I'm not exactly sure technically all of what went on behind the scenes, but I heard that he kind of didn't end up working out. According to the Isaacson documentary, Jobs referred to Gareth as a zero. So, nah, it doesn't sound like he hated him, but he probably just didn't perform well enough. And he might have not cared so much at the beginning. You got to remember, at this time, Steve Jobs is not confident that he was going to come back as CEO of Apple. He was really just on board to help steer things in the right direction. He had an idea of what Apple needed to become, but Mm -hmm. wasn't committed to being fully back yet. They don't even have a chairman. They were saying we're not even going to do a chairman for the board right now either. So we have Ed Woolard, Gareth Chang, and like we talked about earlier, Mike Markula. He was being asked to resign And yes, here's the part I was thinking about. Yes, Jobs did actually respect him more. He went out to his house personally to talk to him. And, you know, Steve Jobs liked walks. He would take walks all the time. That's where he would talk about things. And they did it on a walk, which uh, I guess kind of makes it a little easier to bluntly put to say you're fired. (laughs) Let's just do it on a walk. I haven't seen anywhere officially how much he was paid to resign. I'm sure it was a hefty amount. But yes, Mike Markula, who was there pretty much from the beginning, was asked to resign. Well, I mean, that is part of what's interesting about the whole Think Different campaign because it really, it wasn't just a campaign. Apple, that's part of what the whole change of board of directors was, was Steve was pretty adamant about we need to think different, like company-wide from the ground level up about what we're doing and how Mm -hmm. we do it. Absolutely. So the new members of the board, when Jobs announced that the rest resigned, Again, the audience erupted into applause. And again, for those who are listening, all the keynotes are in the show note links. Just go ahead and click them if you want to watch the keynotes later. So everyone starts cheering. Here's the new members. Larry Ellison, CEO of Oracle. I remember someone made like a boo sound and Steve Jobs was like, I hope that wasn't a boo I was here. <laughs> Jerry York, former CFO of IBM and Chrysler. You know, small brands, no credibility. <laughs> no, those are huge. Uh, he did a lot of turnaround work from being in this valley, getting brands back up to the to the peaks. 
And we also have Bill Campbell, CEO of Intuit. And he also ran in the older days of Apple, the past days, he ran the Claris division or subsidiary, whatever it was on a business level, Claris Works and all that software. And he was also a former VP of sales and marketing at Apple. So he's done stuff with Apple before. And then this one other guy joins the board, this guy named Steve Jobs. So he announces that people go crazy. And Steve does thank the outgoing board members. He's professional about it, at least on stage. I'm sure there were some other undocumented, unwritten stories about what really went on behind the scenes that were maybe a little more verbally violent, maybe we'll just say. But he does thank the outgoing board members and welcomes the new ones. And again, no chairman at the time. So got the board. Now we got to talk about market focus. Where is Apple relevant? So he talks about creative content, publishing and design. Today, we know of a lot of people that edit videos and stuff on Macs and stuff like that. But like in 1997, like video editing, desktop video wasn't really a thing. But desktop publishing and design was huge on the Mac. 80% of the computers used in advertising and graphics art, they did the pre-press on Macintoshes. And 64% of all internet websites were created on a Mac. Yes, this is a statistic coming from Steve Jobs. I don't know how official it was, but I believe it. Probably more than half of internet websites were created on Macs. They were really good with design software. And then he mentions, like, when was the last time you saw Adobe and Apple co-marketing Photoshop? Like, that would be cool to focus on together to say, hey, we have this really powerful new computer. Oh, it'll run Photoshop like great. That's a good, like, way they could collaborate and co-market stuff. That's definitely a theme in these coming keynotes is, like, the partnership. Strong, strong. Mm -hmm partnerships with industry leading things. This is Apple building trust with people. Yeah, and absolutely. Including the bombshell one, which <laughs> some people maybe would hate, but we'll get to that soon. But it was an important one. Oh, let's, very, let's, very. Let's be honest here. Yeah. Yeah. So he talks about creative content. That's like the first big key focus. And then the other one is education. I mean, Apple has been huge with education forever. Apple II is in the classroom everywhere. They put the first personal computers in education, at least according to Jobs. You know, some people might say, no, 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 this other company really did. Okay, let's be honest. Apple did it in mass volume, millions of computers. We talked about it on uh, one of the previous episodes. You saw a Mac in every classroom. I think, uh, you know. Uh, or at least an Apple II or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, not a Mac, an, an Apple computer. But. Mm -hmm. You definitely associated Apple with education. Yeah. Even my preschool, you know, class of five-year-olds, we had a freaking Apple IIe enhanced, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's probably my first exposure, actually, to an Apple, I guess, would be school. Yeah. My first exposure for me was definitely at home. I think we had a Performa, but after that, yeah, a non-Macintosh Apple would have been, yeah, an Apple IIe, like, at school. So then I thought this was interesting. Jobs said that Apple is the single largest supplier of education. So I'm guessing like an educational software and computer that it can use. How they, I don't know what he meant by supplier specifically, but I guess just providing educational computer tools to schools. Apple does it more than anybody else. But this was the interesting thing. He talked to 100 people at Apple asking them who's the largest supplier of education. Only two of the Apple employees said Apple. So that's pretty interesting. Like not even... The employee, 98 of those 100 employees working on Apple didn't even know Apple was the largest supplier of computer hardware, software, education for schools. Like, that's just a clear lack of vision and focus, in my opinion, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and, and it's, uh, wouldn't you want to know that? Like, hey, we're built, you know, if I was on a team where you're building and you're, you know, you're doing something where you're the market leader, it seems like a mismanagement of or information, communication, yeah. team building. It was bad management, yeah. You're right, that would totally suck to know that you're number one in the race. And You should know, that should be no question. You we're should, the best. Oh, yeah. Even you if should, you aren't the best, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your manager you should, should probably be telling you we're the best. It's surprising that they didn't know that. 
So then he followed up with another statistic saying 60% of all computers used in education are Apple's. So that's more than half, but all those people that he talked to at Apple had no idea. That's crazy. So Jobs wants to be more proactive at those two markets. They already have so much strength in the creative content and education markets. Why not keep focusing there? So then core assets. And he says Apple's greatest core asset is you all. Oh, that was so nice. (laughs) (laughs) So 20 to 25 million users. Again, you know, Windows really outgrew the Mac, of course, but Microsoft played the licensing game. They licensed their software to other hardware companies. So there's a bunch of different hardware brands in the PC space, but they all run Microsoft Windows and there's a bajillion of them. In terms of Macintosh users, there was like slightly shy of 25 million, but that's still huge. And as we talked about earlier, the loyalty and passion is different for that kind of group of people than like a typical Wintel PC user. And I thought this was also cool that Job said, I don't think we've been doing a good enough job taking care of you. Mm. (laughs) And he mentions that he was calling like the tech support line. And he said, I've gotten very acquainted with the hold signal. (laughs) So customer support, I'm just taking his word for it. I'm sure he exaggerated a bit. It seemed like it could have been better. But then he said, what are the core assets? The Apple brand and Mac OS. So these 20 to 25 million Mac users are all using the Mac OS. But Jobs jokingly said, we've been walking all over it. And he even shows this picture of like the Mac Picasso face with like footprints on it. And there were rumors. He talks about that there's rumors that they may be abandoning it. People were thinking they're going to abandon it. But I actually literally just thought of this now. Could that maybe be because Apple was talking about this Rhapsody technology, which didn't have the macOS name in it? So the worry here, I guess, would be that they did announce that Rhapsody, which eventually just became macOS 10. 10. Right, exactly. Um, they just renamed it to that. But yeah, I guess it was that's that's what a lot of this uh, kind of stuff is, is building trust in the consumer base that they weren't going to just switch to that and abandon them. I think, yeah, because like... Like that stuff would be backwards compatible or that we'd support the systems. And I remember we were talking about that earlier with the yellow box and the blue box, where the yellow box was yeah. going to be like all the next step APIs, but the blue box would be the backward compatibility with macOS. But... Yeah, now that I think about it, maybe people were thinking that backward compatibility of the macOS would be there, but like macOS would never get upgraded anymore. Like I just thought of that now. But yeah, it does eventually just become macOS 10, but we'll definitely talk about that in a future episode that happens a little while later. But right now, yeah, it's not called macOS 10. It's called Rhapsody. Like it doesn't have the Mac name in it. Yeah, I suppose I could see that. And there's probably a lot of their base of users were professionals who probably invested a lot of money in the software licenses, maybe hardware peripherals and stuff. He actually does mention this. The 25 million users, thousands of developers, it's a $1.5 billion software industry. So yeah, if they were going to abandon it, that would be suicide. You would not abandon something if you had a $1.5 billion industry built on top of it. Mm -hmm. There's no way. But that was a rumor. I can see why people would probably think that, though. But yeah, that wasn't their plan. That was not true. But it was funny. He was talking about the code names for the macOS releases, Tempo, Allegro, and then Requiem. And he showed like a sad, <laughs> sad Mac face there. But no, they were not going to abandon it. They were going to invest a lot more into it. And that clearly paid off because as we'll talk about in a future episode with macOS 10, look at all the Macs that run software that was based off that Genesis and all your iPhones and all the iPads, even the tvOS and the watchOS are all, to not be super technical, I don't know if you'd say this, they're, they're forks, I guess you could say, of the genesis of macOS 10, which is crazy. But since we're not there at macOS 10 yet, we're at macOS 8 technically right now, and Jobs gives an update on that. They sold 1.2 million copies in two weeks, which was actually 
quadruple their forecast. So that's a pretty good start. And I also think it's interesting how Jobs reassures people that they're not abandoning the Mac OS and how he talks about, we have these 25 million users, these thousands of developers in this $1.5 billion software industry. And he, you know, he just reassures people that we're staying there. But now it's so much funny to think about how much of that has changed like in terms of scale, because you look at like the app store and like how much has Apple paid out from the just the iOS app store, like iPad and iPhone, isn't it like over 20 billion? Oh, I mean, now? billions it, it's, and billions, billions. It's, yeah, it's way more than that. It's I remember like WWDC, I forgot what WWDC it was, but they showed like a giant check on the screen when they passed their first billion dollars paid to developers from the app store. That's been growing so much. It's crazy. Are you looking it up quick? Yeah, it looks like, uh, yeah, like 50 billion. Is it 50? What? It says Apple's App Store grossed more than 64 oh billion just in 2020. 50 billion Whoa. in 2019, 50 billion in 2018. Seriously? What? Just in a year? 64 billion in 20? Holy crap. Are you on the CNBC article? Uh, just whatever, yeah, these top hits on Google wow. are. Okay, that's freaking insane because I remember when they hit their first billion and now they get tens of billions in a year. That's. Wow, that, that's freaking crazy. Okay, so again, in short, it paid off. <laughs> okay, so before we move on to the bombshell, <laughs> let's just resummarize a little bit of what's going on here. The core focuses and the core assets, focusing on the markets that work well, education, content creation, Apple's really strong in those areas. Core assets, the Apple brand and the Mac OS, and also the board of directors shuffle, which will move us on to the meaningful partners. But... Meaningful partners kind of means multiple things right now because sometimes even the small guys got to partner with some people like me. I got to partner with some guys that can help me make these awesome shows for everyone to listen to. And that's right. I'm talking about my awesome meaningful partners at Linode because those guys are freaking awesome. I've been working with them for years and this show is possible because of them. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while or you've watched some of my older episodes on my YouTube channel of the Crazy Ken shows, you've probably heard of Linode before. I've been working with them for a while. They are super awesome guys. But if you don't know what it is, that's cool too. I'm here to tell you all about it. So you can simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. You can develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. So whether you're developing that personal project or maybe you're managing some larger workload, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions. Here's the cool deal I've worked out with Linode. You can get started with Linode today with $100 in free credit just for listening to this podcast. I mean, Brad, if someone paid you 100 bucks to listen to a podcast, would you do it? Just to listen. Sign me up. Just, just to listen to one episode. That's the cool thing. Just for you guys listening to this episode, you'll get $100 in free credit for Linode. You can find all the details at linode.com slash computer clan. The link is in the show notes. And the cool thing is they have data centers around the world with the same simple and consistent pricing regardless of location. So you can just choose the data center closest to you. And the cool thing is too, they have 24-7, 365 human, not robot, human support, no tears, no handoffs, regardless of your plan size. It's so cool. You can talk to a human if you have an issue. It's really great. And you can choose between shared and dedicated compute instances or you can use that $100 credit on S3 compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes, and more. To put it simply, if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit linode.com slash clan and click the create free account button to get started. And you get that $100 credit just for listening to a podcast. It's the easiest $100 you guys will ever make. That's our meaningful partner with Linode. Now let's talk about the bombshell announcement, a meaningful partner that Apple wants to announce. So this is the big one. In fact... This news was so big, Time and Newsweek covered 
this like particular part of the announcement. I'm sure a lot of other people did too, because this was huge. And this was before like Mac rumors and stuff like that. So like rumors couldn't really spread as easily back then. So I'm sure this surprised a lot of people. So Steve Jobs is talking about this. And in the middle of a sentence, I noticed that he takes a sip of water and he does that in future keynotes too. You know, that's one thing we're going to be doing on the show, kind of like documenting his, um, Steve-isms. Steve-isms, yeah, yeah, his little quirks or whatever. That's one thing I've noticed he does. He'll like stop in the middle of a sentence, maybe very intentionally for, you know, dramatic pause. I don't know. He'll take a sip of water. Yeah, it's very interesting. So <laughs> he takes a sip of water and then he says that Apple needs help from other partners. It needs to help other partners too. So then we can get help too. You know, it's reciprocity. That's a, like a basic marketing thing right there. But yeah, we need to help others so we can get help. And they've looked at relationships and this is just my opinion, but the way he was talking, it almost seemed like he was semi-apprehensive of saying what he was about to say because he was probably anticipating the negative reaction from the audience. But he said, we've looked at the relationships we've had and one has stood out, Microsoft. So there's some applause, but like there's like a stir in the audience. You can hear like a kind of going on there. So Apple and Microsoft, especially like at the time, if you heard those names, you would kind of think of them as like mortal enemies. <laughs> and he's talking about this meaningful partnership, but it kind of makes sense because Microsoft was there with Apple from the beginning. Even in the first episode we talked about, we talked about how Bill Gates was at that sales conference, that Apple sales conference in mm -hmm. 1983. Microsoft was with Apple from pretty much the beginning. So flashing back to the time where Jobs is working out this deal, Jobs is talking to Bill Gates, right? And he says, Apple's not going to survive that much longer if we're at war. Because Gates and Jobs were not necessarily those two guys specifically, but the two companies were, there were some issues. There were some legal issues too, which we'll talk about in a bit. So Jobs was working with Bill Gates and the chief financial officer of Microsoft. I'm sorry, I can't really pronounce his last name. I maybe should have looked it up more, but Greg Maffei, M-A-F-F-E-I. I'm so sorry, Greg, if you're listening. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jobs was saying, these are two things we care about, a commitment to make software for the Mac and an investment. So those are the basics of the deal. So the final details were wrapped up only like a few hours before the keynote. In fact, there's this awesome photograph in the Isaacson documentary. I keep saying documentary. Uh, I mean to say biography. It's a book where Jobs is on the phone with Bill Gates on stage about this keynote we're talking about today. Jobs was on stage rehearsing it hours before the audience got there. And he's on the phone with Bill Gates sealing up the deal. That's how like close to the 11th hour here we are. Like this is so close to being missed, but it happened. So Steve, in his kind of comedic fashion, tease it up where he said, the discussions began because there were some patent disputes. <laughs> some, some laughter about that. The copyright issues have kind of been a source of a back and forth showdown from 1985. There was legal issues with how Microsoft Windows looked, how Apple was saying this is infringing on our patents and the look and feel of our system. In fact, I think those litigations went on for, don't quote me on this, but probably like 12 years or so, they went on for a long time. Not to mention the QuickTime software, Apple software to playback real-time video without the audio going out of sync. You know, it would adjust the frame rate if it needed to, but the audio wouldn't go out of sync. There was also that other lawsuit where Microsoft contracted the company that Apple contracted to make a Windows version of QuickTime. Microsoft contracted those same people to make their video for Windows software better. And there was like thousands of lines of pirated QuickTime code in their software. So there was a lawsuit about well, they that. They did a bad job. I never remember like Windows Media Player being anywhere <laughs> close to QuickTime. No, I've never, even today, like QuickTime's still around today. I have never used another media player that can scrub and play like QuickTime can. No. 
Nothing. But this was like the early 90s where like nothing was doing this, but QuickTime was able to play that video like 320 by 240 resolution or whatever. But you have this Windows software video for Windows, which I think was actually called like DCI for this particular release, had pirated QuickTime code in it. So that was another legal issue. Apple and Microsoft were in these like kerfuffles, <laughs> these legal kerfuffles. So they wanted to have a patent settlement, settle that stuff. In addition to that, Apple wanted a five-year commitment for Microsoft Office on the Mac which is like one of the most, at least at the time, one of the most used programs on the Mac. Heck, Microsoft Word was on the Mac before it was on Windows. A lot of people probably don't even think about that. Yeah, I mean, you have to understand a little context here of like, I mean, essentially at this time, the reason to have a computer is for Microsoft Office. Like, if Office you is go, huge. I mean, Office is like personal computing. So if the Mac didn't have Office and didn't have like the same version of Office, you know, at least, then it would not survive. This was desperately that, needed. It would, it, yeah, it would have been very hard. You ready for more booing? Oh, man. Internet Explorer which actually just got announced that it's officially like getting shut down in like 2022. Internet Explorer is the default browser on the Mac now. And there was a lot of booing for this one. There was some scattered applause. Actually, I have that sound bite. I'm going to ah. play this. We have taken a look uh, at browsers out there and Apple has decided. <laughs> some clapping. Apple has decided to make Internet Explorer its default browser on the Macintosh. No! no. <laughs> Since we believe in choice, uh, <laughs> since we believe in choice, we're going to be shipping other Internet browsers as well on the Macintosh, and the user can, of course, change their default should they choose to. Oh, man. It would have been so much fun to be in that audience, but... <laughs> I tried researching more parts of the deal in detail. I couldn't find anything specifically that said why Apple had to go this route, but I'm pretty sure it was just part of the agreement. Yeah, I'm sure it's just part of the agreement because this wasn't really touched on in the book. Um, yeah. But the interesting thing about this deal is that definitely from the history of the deal, since this is this event is featured in the Pirates of Silicon Valley uh, mm -hmm. movie mm -hmm. as well, and it seems very dramatic. And especially it if you was, don't know the yeah. context, like you could see, like it could, it, it can seem like whatever Apple, Steve are having to be like subservient to Microsoft That's a good or word. something. Right there, yeah. But it's less <laughs> ominous. You know, reading the history of it, I mean, Steve Jobs, this wasn't like a big uh, hill for him to die. Like, he wanted to make this deal. He was real. I mean, him and yeah. Bill Gates were talking. I mean, Bill Gates was quoted as saying, like, hey, Apple is trying to make deals like this with us over the, in the patent dispute thing and all that. And they just, they, there's so many details and legal and all this and that. Like, Steve Jobs just came in and was like, boom, let's do this. Let's work this deal. And then the patents are off the table. He just wanted to move forward. He wasn't worried about the past. This is about the future of the Mac. But yeah. the Internet Explorer thing, yeah, that's not really mentioned. I, mean, I guess it was just probably part of the deal. Mm -hmm. They just, you know, throw that in there. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal in retrospect. No, I mean, I know there's those dedicated, passionate people about the Mac. They were like, no, you can't do that default Microsoft browser stuff. But yeah, it's like, dude, just change it if you want. And also, like six years later, Apple introduces Safari, and that's their own default. Even if they invented Safari earlier, they couldn't make it the default for five years. So 
Eh, okay, well. Yeah, if Apple didn't have, they, they didn't have Safari at the time, you're using a third party anyway. The, right. You know, one of them right. is going to be the default, whatever. So I think it was to help keep the relationship healthy, but also let's think about it. Internet Explorer had a big chunk of market share, so doesn't hurt. So that was part of the deal there. That is something that Jobs announced, and he also talks about Java compatibility. Microsoft is going to help him with that because that was important, even though I don't even like hear the word Java like anymore today it's pretty much like not a thing that i can i use but uh 1997 the story was different so remember earlier i was talking about the commitment to software on the mac but the second part of that thing was an investment well now we're at the investment part so microsoft made a 150 million dollar investment in apple and they agreed not to sell those shares for three years and there's some booing and then jobs announces they're non-voting shares and the crowd goes oh. crazy. Because, <laughs> yeah, people were probably just booing because they were like, oh, no, we don't want Microsoft having, like, a stake. We don't want them having any kind of control. No, they were non-voting shares. This was, I guess it was just a sign of good faith, I guess you could say. It was, Steve really is the one who was pushing for the investment That's right, Microsoft. he was. That's true. And uh, it was because, I mean, the big thing, what th what this is, is this is damage, like, control mode. This is Steve saying, we got to right the ship, get this in order, mm -hmm. and there's what this needs to do is we need to relook and rebuild what we're going to do with hardware and software, basically, from the ground up. But we can't make that happen on the turn of a dime. This is going to mm -hmm. take, uh, I forget what he was, you know, two or three years. But that's what he needed. He needed everything he could to buy the time until they could do the release of the new products, the new software, his video vision of what they were going to go to. And what he needed to do was just have the Mac survive until then. We needed the partnership. You needed Microsoft. You needed that software on board. But you also needed, this is just as much pitch to investors and shareholders and other businesses and stuff like that. That's what the new board is bringing Microsoft on board is, and with those shares, um, with that investment, and that they can't uh, sell them, they're, you know, they're buying that time before Steve can, um, that the company's going to survive long enough for them to launch new things. Yeah, because, you know, Apple's a trillion dollar valued business right now, but at the time, they weren't even profitable. So I don't know how desperately they needed the money, but they needed money. And I'm sure it was a fair trade-off of like, let's work this out. Okay, we'll drop the other legal issues, the legal disputes here. You make an investment, you commit to the software, we'll make Internet Explorer the default. Quote unquote, everybody's happy. <laughs> so then Job says, I happen to have a special guest with us via a satellite downlink. So on the giant projector screen behind him, who appears? Bill Gates. <laughs> He's just on the big screen. Bill Gates is there. There's a, some applause from the audience. There's a lot of booing. There were some dudes like just straight up face palming in the audience. Like the camera would cut away to them. And there's like people just face palming. Like these people at this keynote are like so into the company. Like they're just like living in the drama here. They're, <laughs> they're like really into it. Like booing and cheering. Oh, it's so much fun. The thing is though, Bill Gates can't really hear what's going on. So like he's going to start talking while they're... <laughs> My whole question was why the heck did this have to be live? Like why was this not a pre-recorded video? So do you know what Jobs' original vision was for the Bill Gates thing? If I will be talking about it soon, but do you uh, know the story? Not necessarily. All, all I know is that uh, some people looked at this as like more of like Bill being like, I don't even have the time to show up and 
there was, there was a little bit of that in there. So yeah, we'll talk about that in one sec. So Bill Gates appears, he can't really hear the booing. So he's going to start talking and the audience just kind of has to like awkwardly quiet down. So Bill Gates says, it's very exciting to renew our commitment. They're doing Mac Office 98, Internet Explorer on the Mac. It's not just a port. They made special code just for the Mac. There was a lot of applause there. In fact, Internet Explorer 5 was a big release because visually it had kind of that aqua looking appearance, which the Mac later had with Mac OS X. So there was some big stuff there. And like you mentioned earlier, this scene was monumental. It was reenacted in Pirates of Silicon Valley. Great movie, guys, if you haven't seen it yet. It's a TV movie, but it's mm. still really good. So he kind of wraps it up. It's only like a one minute thing, Bill Gates on the projector. And you're right. Why couldn't this have been pre-recorded? I mean, maybe it was more special that it was live, but it's kind of weird when it's one way. He couldn't actually talk with Jobs or respond to the audience, like cheering and stuff like that. He was awkwardly talking over the applause and everything. Jobs later talked about this event and he said he hated the staging. He hated it. It made Jobs and Apple look small. Almost quite literally, because Bill Gates is on a giant screen and Steve Jobs is this tiny figure on stage. So Jobs did not like it. Jobs originally wanted Gates to come on stage. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. So Bill live streamed it from, I think it was at the Redmond Microsoft HQ. And it was funny because Bill Gates talked about this event as well. And he said he was embarrassed when he saw the tape of his face magnified on the giant screen in front of an audience of 5,000 people. He didn't know it was going to look like that. <laughs> My goodness. What I think is interesting, though, is uh, did it remind you at all of the 1984 ad? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's impossible to not kind of see that. A big face bit. on a big screen. But, yeah. hey, if it is going to remind you of that, then Steve Jobs is the lady throwing the hammer. So <laughs> in that's way, good. In a way, I guess. <laughs> I just thought that was like a kind of a cool full circle sort of thing, even though that was very likely unintentional. It's just kind of... Yeah, I feel like uh, it, it definitely all kind of was unintentional and not really just, you know, it's just a weird confluence of situations of... Yeah, there's the issue of... Yeah, I did know that uh, Steve originally wanted mm. Bill Gates there uh, to... as uh, He was really pushing for it, again, yeah. to show the commitment that, that this isn't better. just a paper commitment that yeah. Microsoft truly believes in Apple. So, and then, then, yeah, I think it just, it's, to look back at it and know the history, it seems a little more ominous or pre-planned than it actually was. <laughs> so then Jobs says, we have to let go of this notion that for Apple to win, Microsoft has to lose, which I think is a great way to sum it all up. Because even after this, there was still like the whole Mac versus PC sort of thing. But back then, like even in the court system, there was literally an Apple versus, now it's Apple versus Epic, but it's Apple versus <laughs> Microsoft. And Jobs was like, we got to stop this, people. Like, they don't need to lose. Like, for Apple to win, Apple has to do a good job. And there was applause there. So I think people could get on board with what Jobs was saying. And he was saying the era of setting this up as a competition is over. Because it was very competitive. But it's like, we need these meaningful partners now. And then another cool thing that he said, which at the time, I wouldn't have even thought about it this way. Apple plus Microsoft equals 100% of the desktop computer market. Yeah, why would you go to war? Like, that's that's great. You work together, you garner 100%. 
you could see a lot of begrudgingly people shifting in their seats going, well, I guess he's right. I mean, he's making yeah, some I good really points. Guess. Which is funny because like Apple and Microsoft are still, in terms of software installations, really big players. But I think Google Chrome OS, like on Chromebooks and stuff like that, is now number two. Like Windows in terms of install base is number one. I think Chrome OS is now number two and Mac OS is number three in terms mm. of desktop computing just because, well... Cloud computing, web apps, Chromebooks are cheap. You know, it works. Google pushed their way out pretty well. So then he talks about the Apple brand and he brings up the Think Different text, which again, for context, even though we talked about the Think Different media event in a past episode, in terms of the real world timeline, the Think Different thing hasn't aired yet. That was later this year. It was like September in this year, 1997. So the ad campaign hasn't happened yet, but Jobs is still talking about those two words, Think Different. And like you said, Brad, they have to think different about a lot of things. And Jobs explicitly says that in future keynotes. They have to think different about software and all these other aspects to make the company healthy again. And he says, in that craziness, we see genius. And those are the people we're making tools for. And that totally makes sense because in the ad, it's like, here's to the crazy ones. You know, the misfits, the rebels, the square pigs and the round holes. You know, it all kind of just makes sense. They, they see genius in that. And that's uh, who they make the tools for. So... Apple stock jumped 33% that day. Ooh. Holy crap. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. So if you adjust for splits in today's money, that stock was maybe worth 20 cents back then. But in that actual time, it was like $13 a share or whatever. But yeah, it jumped by 33%. So that's the end of that keynote. And just since we were talking about Think Different quickly, I just wanted to add one little tidbit that we didn't cover when we mentioned the Think Different media event. You know, the voiceover, you know, they show the black and white footage of like all those famous people, Einstein and Gandhi and Muhammad Ali. There's the voiceover of here's to the crazy ones and all that. But originally Steve Jobs recorded the voiceover, but in the published version, you don't hear Steve Jobs, you hear Richard Dreyfuss. I never really knew why they changed that. They recorded Jobs' voice, but then they were like, I'll stick with the Dreyfus version. But then uh, Steve Jobs said, if they hear my voice saying it, it may sound like it's about me. It's about Apple. So he wanted someone else to say those words. So that's why they stuck with the Richard Dreyfus voiceover of the Thing Different ad. And Steve's the one who actually made that call. They were ready to roll Yo. both versions yep. right up until this. And, you know, they said that that's a sign of that, you know, some people think Steve can be a bit of an a-hole or, <laughs> yep, uh, yep. you know, or a narcissist or they think, but it seems like a narcissist would definitely want their voice being, you know, the thing that they co-wrote being the thing. But, um, you know, he specifically was like, yeah, they couldn't hear it from me. Yeah. And uh, just shows that what he was really more interested in was not propping himself up, but really... Exactly. Saving Apple. hundred percent. And I thought it was really nice that, you know, for the most part, no one heard those words from Steve Jobs' mouth until 2011, because when he passed away, they actually played his version of the recording at the, it wasn't technically a funeral, but uh, I don't know what you'd call it, Day of Remembrance at Apple or whatever. They had a big gathering. Uh, they played his voiceover version of the ad later in 2011. So... All this went down in 38 minutes, just for context. Obviously, our episodes are longer, but in real time, this keynote was only 38 minutes, and it was a roller coaster of shiitake <laughs> mushrooms. Um, Apple needed help. They had this multi-step approach, board of directors, core focus, meaningful partners, and the big one was with Microsoft. It's Joining really, forces. It's, it's amazing that this worked out like it oh, yeah. did. This is the start right here of, you know, the, the comeback, the greatest comeback and whatever business oh, oh, history. Totally. I think this is the greatest comeback in business history ever. 
Absolutely. And it could have only happened with, I mean, because also just to put this in context, the way that Steve Jobs is able to, I mean, Apple is on the verge of, you know, if not dying, being acquired or, you know, turning into something that is not. Michael Spindler, yeah, one of their CEOs wanted to sell the company. Yeah. We we just skipped right over him, but yeah, Michael Spindler. It it would have (laughs) become something else. It was going to be, if it didn't die, it was going to mutate into something that didn't resemble it. And Steve Jobs happened to be passionate about this company that he started and have a vision for it. And he wasn't the disgraced Steve Jobs that left uh, or the Steve Jobs, you know, next was not a financial success. Mm -hmm. But with Pixar, this is all after Toy Story. Uh, Toy Story and Pixar, you know, is what gave Steve Jobs, he was in the press, you know, he's kind of a bit of like doing whatever the version of like what Elon Musk does now. Steve Jobs was a oh, bit, a you good know, way to put it. You know, he was always made sure to be involved. There was articles, there was things, he was open about certain things and what, you know, he knew, like you said, there was any press is good press. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he had the goodwill with being, becoming a billionaire through Pixar and pushing the future and that that was related to computers and the whole board, everything right here is the first step of convincing shareholders, convincing other businesses, convincing developers and partners and stuff. Apple's going to be around and people could trust the genius of Steve Jobs. He had just the right cachet and the (laughs) right vision at the time to make this work. It's just incredible that it could happen like it did. Yeah, and I know we're called Apple Keynote Chronicles, but I'm sure we'll be doing some revisiting to the Pixar days to cover those parts of the timeline. We'll do like a throwback episode or something. Because, yeah, that was a pivotal part. And I personally haven't looked into much of his history at Pixar yet. I really should, because it was big. And even just in terms of storytelling, I don't know if we talked about this on the show yet, but just in terms of storytelling, there's elements from Pixar about what goes into making a movie that Jobs and his producer and the team used to make his Steve notes, the way he presents on stage. There were storytelling elements borrowed from Pixar turned into a product event, and it worked. The The biggest thing that uh, it seems that came out of Pixar was more of how Steve Jobs learned to work with other people, how he learned to sure. give people, um, you know, it, this is a different Steve Jobs coming back to Apple. And so there, there was the shift in that time, and Pixar was really the shift of learning to trust other creative people and mm-hmm. learning how to work with them. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of the old Steve Jobs stories that came around of the guy yelling and, you know, being a ball buster. And maybe he had elements of that still, but this was a guy who was apparently pretty collaborative and creative and gave people a lot of runway. Mm-hmm. So, wow, what a, what a day that must have been to be there in person. But remember, there's that one bullet point we didn't cover because Steve Jobs didn't cover it. He teased it, but he didn't cover it. Product paradigm. Well, what the heck does that mean? Well, that's what's coming up on the next episode. So make sure you're subscribed and following. Stay tuned because we're going to dive into the all new product strategy. Again, Steve is killing 70% of the product line and that new stuff is coming, including a brand new chip. Oh yeah, the Apple website for 24 hours before the next product event, it was down and it just showed a picture of a chocolate chip cookie, a screwdriver, and a shopping cart, not in that order, it was a shopping cart and a screwdriver. It's like, what the heck does that mean? Pretty ominous for a whole day straight. The website just showed that. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about in the next episode of Apple Keynote Chronicles. So feel free to subscribe and tune in for a new episode every other Monday because we like to make your Monday 
a fun day. And hey, if you like the show, feel free to leave a rating or a review. Five stars is an awesome number of stars. I love the number five. But hey, if you didn't like the show, you absolutely don't have to leave a rating. You don't have to. But if you've gotten this far, I'm pretty sure you like it. But hey, since we believe in choice, <laughs> <laughs> you can use Internet Explorer, Netscape Navigator, or choose not to rate the show. That's cool too. So thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one. And thanks again to our awesome friends at Linode. You can go ahead and claim that $100 of free credit. Link in the description, linode.com slash computerclan. And there's other good resources and the keynote recording in the show notes. Also, if you want to listen to this podcast ad-free, I do have an ad-free version of it on my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash crazyken. That's me, Crazy Ken with a K. That link is also in the show notes and you get a lot more stuff too. There's a lot of other cool bonuses you get. Not just the ad-free stream, but a lot of other cool stuff too. So we're on Patreon. So thanks guys for listening. We'll see you next, next Monday. And enjoy, hey, if you're listening to this on WWDC Day, enjoy WWDC because Apple has some cool things coming out with Mac OS 12 and iPad OS 15 and iOS 15 and all that good stuff. It's gonna be a fun day. But until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks for sticking with me. Catch the crazy and pass it on. Bye.